Hello, my friends. This is Nikki. Today we will be reading from Maria Valtorta's Poem of the Man God, Volume 1, and we will be reading about the flight into Egypt. It is night. Joseph is sleeping in his little bed in his very small room, the peaceful sleep of a man after a hard day's honest and diligent work. But his smile turns into an expression of anxiety. He is now sighing deeply as if he had a nightmare, and he awakes with a start. He sits up on his bed, rubs his eyes, and looks around. It is the dead of night. He stands up and goes towards the door facing his bed. He knocks very gently and opens the door carefully and sets it ajar without making any noise. Mary is not sleeping. She is kneeling near the cradle in her light dress and is praying, watching Jesus who is sleeping peacefully. Jesus is the same age as I saw him in the vision of the Magi, a child about one year old, beautiful, rosy, and fair-haired. He is sleeping with his curly head sunk in the pillow and clenched fist under his chin. Are you not asleep? Joseph asks her in a low, surprised voice. Why not? Is Jesus not well? Oh, no, says Mary. He is all right. I am praying. Later I will sleep. Why have you come, Joseph? She speaks kneeling on the same spot. Joseph speaks in a very low voice, lest he should awaken the child. But it is an excited voice. We must go away from here at once. It must be at once. Prepare the coffer and a sack with everything you can put in them. I'll prepare the rest. I'll take as much as I can. We will flee at dawn. I would go even sooner, but I must speak to the landlady. But why this flight? asks Mary. I will tell you later, says Joseph. It's because of Jesus. An angel said to me, Take the child and his mother and escape into Egypt. Don't waste any time. I'm going to prepare what I can. There is no need to tell Mary not to waste time. As soon as she heard Joseph mention an angel, Jesus, and flight, she understood that her child was in danger. And she jumped to her feet, her face whiter than wax, holding one hand against her breast, completely distressed. And she began to move about, quick and agile, laying the clothes in the coffer and in a large sack which she placed on her bed, still untouched. Although she is disheartened, she does not lose her head. She acts quickly but orderly. Now and again, when passing near the cradle, she looks at the child who is sleeping calmly. Do you need help? Joseph asks now and again, peeping into the room through the door ajar. No, thank you, replies Mary every time. Only when her sack is full, and it is obviously very heavy, she calls Joseph to help her to close it and take it off the bed. But Joseph does not want any help. He prefers to do it himself, and he takes the long sack into his little room. Shall I also take the woolen blankets? asks Mary. Take as much as you can, says Joseph. We will lose the rest. Do take as much as you can. Things will be useful because... Because we will have to stay away for a long time, Mary. Joseph is very sad in saying so, and one can easily imagine how Mary feels. She folds her blankets and Joseph's, sighing deeply. Joseph ties the blankets with a rope 
and while doing so he says, We will leave the quilts and the mats. Even if I take three donkeys, I cannot overload them. We will have a long and uncomfortable journey, partly in the mountains and in the desert. Cover Jesus well. The nights will be cold, both up in the mountains and in the desert. I have taken the gifts of the Magi, because they will be very useful down there. I am going to spend all the money I have to buy two donkeys. We cannot send them back, so I will have to buy them. I will go now, without awaiting dawn. I know where to find them. You finish preparing everything. And he goes out. Mary gathers a few more things. Then, after looking at Jesus, she goes out and comes back with some little dresses. She folds them, wraps them up in cloth, and adds them to the other things. There is nothing else. She looks around, and in a corner she sees one of Jesus' toys, a little sheep carved in wood. She picks it up sobbing and kisses it. On the wood there are traces of Jesus' little teeth, and the ears of the little sheep are all nibbled. Mary caresses the thing without any value, a plain piece of light wood, which, however, is of great value to her, because it tells her of Joseph's love for Jesus and speaks to her of her child. She adds it to the other things placed on the closed coffer. And now there is really nothing else, except Jesus in the little cradle. She thinks she ought to prepare him also. She goes to the cradle and shakes it gently to waken him. She bends down and kisses his hair and takes him into her arms. She sits down and dresses him. His little woolen dress has now been put on, and his sandals have been tied to his feet. She nurses him, and then he falls asleep again. Joseph comes back, and he says, Are you ready? Is Jesus ready? Have you taken his blankets and his little bed? We can't take his cradle, but he must have at least his little mattress, poor baby, whose death they are seeking. Joseph! shouts Mary, while she grasps his arm. Yes, Mary, his death. Herod wants him dead, because he is afraid of him, that filthy beast. Because of his human kingdom, he is afraid of this innocent child. I do not know what he will do when he realizes that he has escaped, but we will be far away by that time. I don't think he will revenge himself by seeking him as far as Galilee. It would be very difficult for him to find out that we are Galileans, least of all that we are from Nazareth, and who we are precisely, unless Satan helps him to thank him for being his faithful servant. But if that should happen, God will help us just the same. Don't cry, Mary. To see you crying is a greater pain for me than having to go into exile. Forgive me, Joseph, says Mary. I am not crying for myself or for the few things I am losing. I am crying for you. You already have had to sacrifice yourself so much, and now once again you will have no customers, no home. How much I am costing you, Joseph. How much, says Joseph. No, Mary, you do not cost me. You comfort me, always. Don't worry about the future. We have the gifts of the Magi. They will serve for the first days. Later I will find some work. A good, clever workman will always make his way. You have seen what happened here. I haven't got enough time for all the work I have. I know, she says, but who will relieve your homesickness for your native land? And what about you? asks Joseph. Who will relieve your longing for your home, which is so dear to you? Jesus, says Mary. Having him, 
I have what I had there. And I, said Joseph, having Jesus, have my native land, in which I had hope up to some months ago. I have my God. You can see that I lose nothing of what is dear to me above all things. The only important thing is to save Jesus, and then we have everything. Even if we should never see this sky again, or this country, or the even dearer country of Galilee, we shall always have everything, because we shall have him. Come, Mary, it is dawning, it is time to say goodbye to our hostess and load our things. Everything will be all right. Mary gets up obediently. She puts on her mantle while Joseph makes up a last parcel and goes out with it. Mary lifts the child gently, envelopes him in a shawl, and clasps him to her heart. She looks at the walls that have given her hospitality for some months, and she touches them caressingly with one hand. Happy house that deserved to be loved and blessed by Mary. She goes out. She goes through Joseph's little room into the big room. The landlady in tears kisses her goodbye, and lifting the edge of the shawl, she kisses the forehead of the child who is sleeping calmly. They go down the outside steps. The first light of dawn enables them to see faintly. In the dim light, three little donkeys can be seen. The strongest is loaded with the goods and chattels. The other two are saddled. Joseph is busy fastening the coffer and bundles on the pack saddle of the first one. I can see his carpenter's tools tied in a bundle on top of the sack. After more tears and goodbyes, Mary mounts the little donkey while the landlady is holding Jesus in her arms and kissing him once again. She then hands him back to Mary. Also Joseph mounts after tying his donkey to the one loaded with the goods in order to be free to hold the reins of Mary's donkey. The flight begins while Bethlehem still dreaming of the phantasmagoric scene of the Magi, is sleeping peacefully, unaware of what is impending over it. And now Jesus says, We have been showing you the scenes which preceded, accompanied, and followed my coming. And we did so not for their own sake, as they are well known, although they have been distorted by elements superimposed throughout centuries. Such way of seeing things in the reality does not diminish my humanity or Mary's, neither does it offend my divinity or the majesty of the Father or the love of the Most Holy Trinity. On the contrary, the merits of my mother and my perfect humility shine brightly, and so does the omnipotent kindness of the Eternal Lord. But we have shown you these scenes in order to be able to apply to you and to other people the supernatural meaning deriving from them and give it to you as a rule of life. The Decalogue is the law, and my gospel is the doctrine that makes the law clearer for you and more loving to follow. The law and my doctrine would be sufficient to make saints of men. But you are so hampered by your humanity. It really overwhelms your souls too much that you cannot follow my ways and you fall, or you stop disheartened. You go on saying to yourselves and to those who would like to assist you, quoting the examples of the gospel for you, but Jesus, but Mary, but Joseph, and so on for all the saints, were not like us. They were strong. They were immediately comforted in their sorrow. 
Also, in the little sorrow which they experienced, they did not feel passions. They were already beings out of this world. That little sorrow, says Jesus, they did not feel passions? Sorrow has been our faithful friend, and it had all the most varied forms and names. Passions. Do not use a word wrongly by calling passions the vices which mislead you. Be sincere and call them vices, and capital ones in addition. It is not true that we did not have passions. We had eyes to see and ears to hear, and Satan caused those vices to dance in front of us and around us, showing them to us with their heap of filth in action, or tempting us with his insinuations. But since we firmly wanted to please God, his filth and insinuations, instead of achieving the purpose intended by Satan, obtained the very opposite. And the more Satan worked, the more we took shelter in the light of God, disgusted as we were with the muddy darkness which he showed to the eyes of our bodies and of our souls. But we did not ignore in our hearts passions, in their philosophical setting. We loved our country, and in our country we loved our little Nazareth above every other town in Palestine. We were fond of our house, of our relatives and friends. Why should we not? We did not become slaves to our feelings because nothing is to be our master except God, but our feelings were our good companions. My mother uttered a cry of joy when, after about four years, she went back to Nazareth and entered her house and kissed the walls where her yes had opened her bosom to receive the Son of God. Joseph joyfully greeted his relatives and his little nephews, who had grown in numbers and in years, and he rejoiced when he saw that his fellow citizens remembered him and they sought him because of his ability. I myself appreciated friendship, and because of Judas's betrayal, I suffered a moral crucifixion. And why not? Neither my mother nor Joseph ever placed more love for their home or their relatives before the will of God. And I never spared a word, if it was to be said, capable of drawing upon me the hatred of the Jews and the animosity of Judas. I knew, and I could have brought it about, that some money would be sufficient to subject him to me, not to me a redeemer, to me a rich man. I had multiplied the loaves of bread, and if I wanted I could multiply also money. But I did not come to obtain human satisfactions to anybody, least of all to those I had called. I had preached sacrifice, detachment, a pure life, humble positions. What kind of a master would I have been, and what just man, if I had given money to one of them for his mental and physical satisfaction, only because that was the means to keep him. Those who make themselves small are great in my kingdom. Those who wish to be great in the eyes of the world are not suitable to reign in my kingdom. They are straw for the beds of the demons, because the greatness of the world is the antithesis of the law of God. The world calls great those who by means which almost always are illicit know how to get the best positions, and to do so they use their neighbor as a stool on which they climb, crushing him. The world calls great 
those who know how to kill in order to reign, and they kill materially or morally, and they usurp positions and countries and fatten themselves, bleeding both individuals and communities. The world often calls great criminals. No, greatness is not to be found in criminality. It is in goodness, in honesty, in love, in justice. You can see which poisonous fruit your great ones offer you, fruit which they have picked in the wicked, devilish garden inside of them. I only wish to speak about the last vision and omit the rest, because in any case it is useless as the world does not want to hear the truth concerning it. The last vision clarifies a detail quoted twice in the Gospel by Matthew, a sentence which is repeated twice, Get up, take the child and his mother with you, and escape into Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother with you, and go back to the land of Israel. And you saw that Mary was by herself in her room with the child. Mary's virginity after her delivery and Joseph's chastity have been strongly denied by those who are not prepared to admit that one like them can be as pure and clear as light. They are wretched people whose souls are so corrupted and their minds so prostituted to the flesh that they are incapable of thinking that one like them can respect a woman seeing in her not her flesh but her soul. Neither can they elevate themselves to live in a supernatural atmosphere, craving not for what is flesh, but only for what is God. Well, I wish to tell those deniers of the most beautiful things, incapable of understanding the beauty of a lily, I wish to tell them that Mary was and remained a virgin, and that only her soul was married to Joseph, exactly as her spirit was united only to the Spirit of God, by whose deed she conceived her only Son, I, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father and of Mary. This is not a tradition embellished afterwards out of loving respect for the Blessed Virgin, who was my mother. It is the truth, and has been known since early times. Matthew was not born after centuries. He was a contemporary of Mary. Matthew was not a poor ignorant man brought up in forest and likely to believe any idle story. He was a clerk in the taxation office. As you would say nowadays, he was an excise man, as we said then. He could see, hear, understand, and tell the truth from the false. Matthew did not hear things reported by third parties. He heard them directly from Mary's lips, to whom he applied for information prompted by his love for his master and for the truth. I do not believe that those repudiators of Mary's inviolability would dare think that she may have lied. My own relatives could give her the lie, had there been other children. James, Judah, Simon, and Joseph, these are Jesus' cousins. They are the sons of his elder brother, Simon, these were disciples together with Matthew. Therefore Matthew could have easily compared their versions had there been more than one account. Don't forget in the Bible, often you will hear the words brother applied to Judas 
and James, the brother of Jesus. In the old country, when we had cousins, they were often called brothers. Sometimes even old ladies, they were called your aunt, out of respect, but it is a cultural thing. Judah and James were not Jesus' brothers, they were his cousins. They were the sons of Joseph's brother, Simon. But Matthew does not say, get up and take your wife. He says, take his mother. Before he says, a virgin betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph, her spouse. Neither those repudiators of purity should tell me that it was a way of speaking particular to the Jews, as if to say wife was a disgrace. No deniers of purity. At the very beginning of the Bible we read, quote, and he will join himself to his wife, unquote. She is called companion up to the moment of the sensual consummation of the marriage, and afterwards she is called wife in various circumstances and in different chapters. And these are the expressions referred to the wives of the sons of Adam. And so Sarah is called the wife of Abraham. Sarah, your wife, and take your wife and your two daughters, is said of Lot. And in the book of Ruth, it is written, the Moabites, the wife of Mahalan. And in the first book of the Kings, it is said, Elkanah had two wives, and further on. And in the Gospels, that is in times contemporary with Christ, when therefore they wrote in a modern style of language as compared to the ancient kind, and therefore no error of transcription could be suspected. As you can see, this name was not a word banished by those who walked in the ways of the Lord. It was not an impure word, this word of wife, not worthy of being uttered and least of all written when there was a mention of God and of his wonderful work. However, the angel, saying, The child and his mother, proves to you that Mary was his real mother, but she was not a wife of Joseph. She remained forever the virgin betrothed to Joseph. And this is the last teaching of the vision, and it is a halo which shines on the heads of Mary and Joseph, the inviolate virgin, the just and chaste man, the two lilies amongst whom I grew up, receiving only the perfume of purity. So here you can see that Jesus very clearly states that the Virgin Mary remained virginal her entire life and that her married life with Joseph was pure and chaste. They loved each other as brother and sister, as companions, as two people whose lives were intertwined in the raising of the child of God. But they were not married as men and women are married today with sexual relations. And Mary never bore other children. And this is very important to understand that the Virgin Mary is the Holy Virgin Mary. And that this virtue is her virtue and she must be respected for it. I'd also like to point out how both Mary and Joseph are in complete obedience to God. When God speaks to Joseph in a dream, sending his angel to tell him that harm is coming his way and that he must make haste, awaken the child, awaken his mother, prepare to leave immediately, he obeys. He doesn't question, he doesn't wander around, 
considering what he'll be leaving behind, wondering if he can get away with it, he gets up and he does exactly as he is told. And when Joseph speaks to Mary, she also obeys immediately. When you put your faith in God and you open your mind and your heart to listening to him, he will guide you. He is a very strong and loving guide. Listen to him and obey. Thank you so much for joining me. Please come back for our next episode.